Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Remarkable Results Radio's Town Hall Academy. And we're talking micromanaging. And here's a taste. For me, it was just all in my head. I never had any processes or really any goals written down. And I just felt like I didn't have enough time to explain everything to somebody so that they could succeed in the task. Therefore, I would just do it myself. You know what I mean? I was just so stuck. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here. Have you ever said, I need to give my people the freedom to spread their wings and make more decisions? Ever wondered why they won't? Well, it could be because you are a micromanager. This strong discussion will open your eyes as to why you should stop being a micromanager. Hey, I want to thank the supporters of the Town Hall Academy, Jasper Engines, and RepairPal. Why purchase a Jasper quality remanufactured product? Well, it's their people. A Jasper associate is dedicated to high-quality customer service, committed to excellence, professional, and has pride of ownership as part of a 100% associate-owned company. Hey, do you want to become RepairPal certified? Well, you'll need a minimum of a 1212 warranty, a shop management system, a high customer satisfaction score, and recent tech training. Join the RepairPal network at repairpal.com slash shops. Yeah, I'm handing out some podcast swag during November 2018. Now go to this special web address, remarkableresults.biz slash swag, and enter the special password. You'll hear it in this episode. So if you want these collector's items like a coffee mug and mouse pad, listen for the special password. Hey, listen, I'm guilty back in the day of being a micromanager. So if you are suffering from being a micromanager, you must discover why you need to stop. With me is Marianne Croce of Croce Transmissions in Norwalk, Connecticut, and SmallBusinessVantage.com. Dennis McCarran, Executive Director of Dealer Strategic Planning. And Tom Lambert, CEO of Shade Tree Automotive. Now, these three really know their stuff on how not to be a micromanager because they all were. Warning, this Academy episode just may change your life. Hey, so glad you're joining other aftermarket professionals on the Aftermarket's Super Learning Highway. You know, our intention is to help bring fresh and innovative discussion to inspire and grow individuals and companies. Now, if you agree, please give me a great review in iTunes. Now, listen to conversations worth hearing that just may make a radical change in how you lead your team. Micromanaging is not healthy and will stifle your growth and success. Find the formula here on how to move from being your business's centerpiece to its strategic leader. My guests' bios, the episode's talking points, and links to their previous episodes can be found at remarkableresults.biz slash A093. You know, your learning curve never sounded this good. All right, stop being a micromanager. My hand goes up. I'm guilty. Uh, Terribly, terribly guilty. And I don't know about all three of you on here with me, but boy, oh boy, that to me is a learning curve. And I guess what what I want to do, Marianne, is I want to start by why? Why do we, we, do we tend to be micromanagers? There's a few reasons why. Um, the, main, the main reason why is many people get into this industry and they were deemed the expert technician who decides to purchase a shop or open up a shop. And all of a sudden now, when they become an owner 
a leader in their company, they have a different role. And that concern that they're not going to be deemed the expert anymore because they have to take on this new role. Uh, that's, that's one of the main reasons. Another reason that they do it is the sense of losing control because they're in new territory, territory that they haven't been in before. They haven't been able, they haven't maybe had experience with the financial side and all the other different sides of the business. So it's that sense of losing control because they're not actually doing the day-to-day. At some point, you let that go. And then um, lastly, I think this is really common. I, I know my husband and I were really guilty of this one. No one else will care as much as me. This is my baby. This is my business. So you're really saying fear of losing control and fear that I'm not going to be viewed as an expert. And fear that no one else will do it as well. In all the years I've been around and in, in my very, very early years before I really start figuring out what leadership was about and how I needed to move, I, I, I'm guilty as charged. I, I No one can do it better, faster, quicker, cheaper than me. And no one wanted to work for me. <laughs> sooner or later, <laughs> sooner or later, they said, okay, I'll sit on the rock over here and you can do it. <laughs> well, why should I do it? You're going to fix it or change it. You're going to tell me it wasn't right. And so I, I hope that our audience in these first four or five minutes embraces the fact that look yourself in the mirror, see if you can hear a ringing inside of this Town Hall Academy uh, that may be you. And if so, we hope that by the, by the time we're done, we'll help you up and out of your problem. It's like the Dr. Phil show here, right? That's, that's going to be like. So one more time, Marianne, what does micromanaging look like? You know, people don't intend to micromanage. It kind of sneaks up on them, doesn't it? Yes, it sneaks up very slowly because we start out and we create the habits. We get in and we're, we start out, we're doing everything. We're wearing all the hats in our business. So we create those routines for ourselves. But day to day, we constantly question people. Um, and we may start making suggestions to them after we've given them a task or a project, or a job to do. So we're hovering over them. And that's what it looks like. The other thing we do is when things go wrong, we tend to blame others. We don't take accountability as the leader or the owner. And the worst part of micromanaging is when something does go wrong, or not even wrong, it was just done a different way, and we throw people under the bus in front of others. Or we you know, criticize them in front of others. It could show up as ego, but it's really the fear of all the things that we discussed. Oh, yeah. I get it, the fear base. So, you know, Dennis, um, back in the day, I always said, God, if I only had one more of me, I wouldn't have any problems. The idea of owner mentality at employee salary um, is an interesting one. If you... Like Mary Ann said, if if she had somebody with as much passion as she has for the business, she wouldn't have that person long because that person would then go open up their own business. That 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 level of drive begets that that desire. Um, you you don't have clones. It, it's uh, when when I worked in my former job and I was training uh, managers. Uh, there they used to be the salespeople and the technicians and. That was their first gripe was that 
you know, I was the easiest person to manage. I just went out and did it myself. And now that I'm in charge, these people don't listen to me. And yeah, you, you can't and don't and won't ever have 10 clones of you working for you. Um, unless science takes a giant leap forward. <laughs> yeah, but, but Dennis, Dennis, having a clone of you, I don't think you could get along with yourself. That's exactly right. So what, what you would end up with is, is groupthink and you would have a very narrow focus on how you want to run the business and you would lose that perspective of diversity and different thinking and, and that aha moment when, somebody has an idea that never ever would have entered your head uh, and, and fundamentally changes the way you look at business. So it's, if you want to have the aha uh, moment that is wonderful, you have to deal with some of the frustrations that come along with people who think and act differently than you. You know, that's a pretty powerful statement. I, um, it goes back to I think what you were saying, Marianne. You know, put the ego on the shelf. Be you know, be humble. Open yourself up to the diverse thinking of the people you hired. I, I guess it goes back to the, almost the hiring process when you're ready to make an offer to someone. You, you know, you've really in inside your gut and your intuition has got to say, "Will this person bring dynamics to the team, or am I going to put him in a vice?" You know, I, I want their talent just for this, but I don't care about anything else this person may have to do or say. And that really kind of is almost a micromanaging mindset. Definitely. Everyone has something to bring to the table, like Dennis was saying. Tom, any experiences uh, in this exact vein? Oh, for sure. So I've been on the far extremes of both ends of this. Really, probably over the last five years, I could show you an uh, example of no micromanaging at all. I've got a team now that just uh, is empowered and do magical things uh, without me even having to really check in on them much. But fast forward or go back in time and I could uh, definitely be everyone's example of uh, how to defeat a team and micromanage and uh, keep everything in your head. Therefore, nobody could understand where you were coming from or what they needed to do because it was just all for me, it was just all in my head. I never had any processes or really any goals written down. And I just felt like I didn't have enough time to explain everything to somebody so that they could succeed in the task. Therefore, I would just do it myself. I didn't, you know what I mean? I was just so stuck working in the day-to-day -day grind that I never could take a breath to actually outline what I was actually doing and explain it to somebody else. So, so yeah, lots of experiences on both sides of the fence of this discussion. Okay, take us to that aha moment when you realized it was time to make the change. Yeah, um, it really goes back to when I really started getting into training. Um, uh, every time I'm on your show, I, I go back to this, but it really was kind of a, a cut and dry uh, time in my life. Uh, for me, I've always... Uh, I come from a, a fairly humble background. My dad has always been able to and still can outwork myself and anybody I know. So we came from a, a common sense and hardworking background. And uh, so as I started running the shop, I knew how to work really hard. And I'm, I've always thought of myself as a pretty bright person. But um, I would go to tech trainings and stuff like that because, you know, we're fixing cars. I need to know how to do that, right? But I would never 
I would never go to or ever knew there was ways to teach me uh, how to write goals and uh, how to track the right uh, key performance indicators, so on and so forth. You know, so for me, it really going to class made me realize what it was I was actually supposed to be doing. And then once I knew what I was supposed to be doing, it was very easily divided to easier to divide up that task amongst my team because I knew where we were going. So you're saying that once you learned your role, you realize you could step back. My question is step back, step back, step back, continuing to go back. Was that a process to continue to wean yourself out? Yeah, for sure. That was a three-year process for me. Um, Took about a year to learn what needed to be done. And then probably the next year after that to get my team used to it. Uh, Cause uh, who is this guy? You know what I mean? What's uh, where did Tom go? And then the final year, once it was already in place, it took about a year for me to settle in and not be, not be needed on a, a daily and every minute basis. That was weird. When you go from having things constantly waiting on you your whole life, uh, no spare time to all of a sudden, you don't have to go to work that day. Uh, I'll be honest, it, it freaked me out for about a month straight. I was still showing up early, even though I didn't have anything to do because my team already had it handled. But I bet you you were shaking every day that you were trying to pull away. You kept saying you were you were probably in a cold sweat. Yeah, it, it definitely felt weird when you go do your whole, do one thing your whole life and then it dramatically changes. It's uh, it's all it always ends up being good, but it, it felt a little weird for a little bit, but. Um, I would sure, I don't know if I could work hard enough to ever go back the, the other direction. Ah, see, now there, there's a really good point. So anyone who's listening who is guilty as charged of being a micromanager, the light at the end of the tunnel for Tom is huge. Carm Capriato here with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Ron, are Jasper product improvements important when deciding to buy your next engine or transmission? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Not only important for me, because I know that I'm going to put a product in a vehicle that's going to last, but they're important for my customer. Uh, My customer's already got an engine that's failed, maybe because a component was under-engineered, and Jasper's gone in and found that and fixed that. And if somebody's committing to the kind of investment to put an engine in their vehicle, they're going to want the best one they can get. Hey, Ron, what could you tell me about Jasper's customer service? Jasper's customer service is above and beyond pretty much any of the vendors' customer service that we use. There's been times that I've often thought we we need to hire whoever trains Jasper's staff to come train my staff. I mean, from from the initial phone call to if there's a warranty problem, a question, a a technical issue, uh, they answer the phone and you're immediately talking to the person that can help you. Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. I'm with Neil Billado, Certified Repair Pail Shop from Safety Auto Centers in Wallingford, Connecticut. Hey, Neil. Hi, Carm. How are you? Are you using the Fair Price Estimator? We use the Fair Price Estimator when we have a phone quote. We tend to go to the Fair Price Estimator tool to give some people a range. So we don't have to actually give them an exact number, but this is where the range is going to be. So you use it internally? We use it internally, yes. There are people that use it externally. Uh, we get a, you know, we get some cold calls saying, "Hey, I saw this online. It says it should be around here. Is that right?" And most of the time, honestly, we're we're in the range. That's great, Neil. How about the partner program? 
Partner programs working great. Um, they've partnered with CarMax and over the last few months, uh, roughly around six or seven months now. And it's, it's a fantastic program. CarMax is looking to outsource a lot of the repair and um, we're doing a lot of it. So Neil, sum up RepairPal. It's worth it. It really does work. Hey, Carm here, and I'm stopping for just a second to tell you the November 2018 password for our SWAG swag contest. It is learning. Just go to remarkableresults.biz slash swag to enter. Good luck. Let's talk about numbers and and, and results and, and setting expectations and systems, which is you can't pull yourself out if you didn't if you didn't have strong disciplines in place, right, Dennis? Uh, correct. You, you you hit the nail on the head when you said systems. And when most people who operate a small business, they do it out of the love of the thing that the business does. Uh, and if you run one shop, you you can like Tom said, you can be that one go to person. You'll 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 give up your whole life for the business, but you can do it. When you get to a you open up a second store, or a third store you can't be in three places at once. It's impossible. And you you are forced then to learn that it takes a system to operate the business. When you have a single store, it's a lot easier to rely on hero syndrome, which is what Tom was uh, referring to, where it, if there's a problem, let's, let's go to Tom and he'll solve it. Uh, that was vanilla ice, but I didn't mean that. But uh, it's... You, you can't rely on hero syndrome because heroes at the end of the story always die. That's what makes them the hero. They sacrifice it all. And the key to not micromanaging is unrelenting on the system and the processes that must be in place so that people can, that's how you get people to think like you is by giving them the processes and the system to act like you. So you're going to have an attitude that says, no one can solve my problems but me. And you've got to cross that line by saying, my people are hired to solve those problems. Correct. And in order to not micromanage, you have to focus on the result, not necessarily the path. You know, if if I have an upset customer, you know, my personality would handle it, you know, path A. I may have an employee who has a different personality than me and, and they, they might handle it at, 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 let's call it path B. But as long as we end up at the same finish line and it was done ethically and, and you know, it, it sort of followed the mission and vision of the company, who, who cares if you took a different path? What, what difference does that make when, when that, if six months goes by and you look back in hindsight, like the, do you even remember how that person did it different. And if, if you can't remember how they did it different, but they got the result you wanted, like Tom said, take a step back. Let, let them handle it. They, they get it. So we got it done mentality. And who, you know, it, it wasn't me, the owner, who got it done. It was my team. Talk about developing, um, you know, talk about developing team, but I continue to think... Um, that leadership is such a big piece here. Tom, when, when you learned your new role, did you, did you, was, was, was learning leadership, reading leadership, uh, connecting with people in a network to become a better leader? Was that anywhere in the mix? 
Oh, for sure. That's, that's, that's most of it for sure. Leadership uh, and management is what uh, makes or breaks a business in my, in my eyes. Uh, that is almost everything. Uh, if you don't have that, uh, that's where it starts. So if you don't have that, how can anybody else succeed? So yeah, leadership and management is, uh, well, that's, that's all I do. I don't even really do too much managing these days. Uh, uh, I've got a staff in place to where um, I don't have to be here. I choose to be here and I try to just stay out of their way. So cool. Hey, Marianne, uh, let's move. You know, I, I think we've kind of defined the problem. We, you know, Tom has shared, you know, kind of, if you will, the end game. Um, how do we, uh, and Tom explained it, but can we go into a little bit more detail on how we stop being a micromanager? Yeah, I think that um, what happens is a lot of shop owners don't know their role as a leader in the company. And that's where they get stuck um, and they resort to the micromanaging. But you really have to focus on building new skill sets when you are the leader, because we're not an expert in every single area. So let the people that you've hired do their job and your focus should be on your mission, your vision, your purpose. I call that the MVP of your business. That has to be really clear and your team needs to know that because every goal that you create is going to be in alignment with that. What your new role is, is strategy. The things that you didn't have time for before. Those were the things that were put on the back burner. And then you can go in with your managers and the leaders that you have, and you can talk strategy with them and talk about the goals so that this new role doesn't feel like I I don't know my place anymore. So you brought up mission, vision, values, Marianne, and, you know, and and I'm big on the, the culture piece. Dennis, can you walk us through why having those in place really allow that team to run without you? Uh, sure. And uh, Marianne, uh, I love the MVP. Uh, I'm stealing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to use that. I love that. Um, for, for me, mission and vision defines uh, a behavior and, and, and behavior is, is the outward action of, of how you think. So if you have a, a uh, thoughtful mission and vision, what you're doing is you're teaching your employees how they need to think and act while in uniform. And I don't, I don't care what they do on their own time. Um, but if you have that mission, it, the, the, the mission is the must do every single day. The vision is the to be state. The, the, if, if we can get better, this is what we're shooting for. If, if your employees buy into that, if you have a good enough mission and vision where they say, you know what, this makes sense. I, I, I like this concept. Then, then they'll base most of their decisions around that idea. And if, if like Tom, Tom sounds like you have a, a multiple number of stores. You can't be in each one uh, at all times. That gives them the ability to make decisions based on that concept, which is how you want them to think. So it allows you to not micromanage. And if somebody happens to make a decision that you, you don't like, the mission and vision gives you the, the positive coaching structure to where you can sit them down and walk them through their decision-making process. How did you get to this? And base it around, did this support the mission? Did this support the vision? And if the employee can articulate 
that I did this because of this concept, you really can't be mad at them. You can suggest a different way they go about it next time, but it takes that emotion out of the conversation. Uh, if, however, they went against the mission and vision, you know, well, that customer's a jerk and I don't care, and your mission happens to be every customer matters, for example, uh, then, then you can have a disciplinary conversation with them and, and you can take that in the direction it needs to go. But for me, mission and vision was always a way to have constructive conversations with employees it, it, that, that could have been highly emotional, but it levels the playing field. You know, I've always known, uh, and, and I love MVP, um, you know, purpose in, in my mind, Marianne drives the values, the, the you know, the, the values that we have set for the company. And I'll never forget working for a company, we had a very strong mission, vision, values set. And whenever you would find someone doing something wrong, you could always point toward one of the values inside the company and then coach toward that. And that's, 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 that's culture. That's, you know, mission, vision, value, values, purpose. And the, the point here that I'm continuing to hear is that culture ends up guiding the company to make the proper decisions. And if all of that was in place, micromanagement team, I think slowly weans itself out not like you designed it, but it, but everyone takes their steps forward. And, and the company starts, you know, if you will, running the way, as Marianne says, you're strategically pulling the levers behind the scenes. Am I making sense here, team? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's a, you can't have the culture with someone who doesn't let go of control. It, so it starts there. Great point. If you can't let go because you don't trust those people, then you need to go get people that you trust. <laughs> you need to start over. Bingo. So culture is like a, it's a yin and yang of the people, but also equally of the person who, who is, is the figurehead. And one of the thoughts that, that I had after I just said what I did is as you develop with your team, you know, your, your MVP, as Marianne so nicely said, not everybody's going to stick around who's going to love what you're doing. They probably wanted to work in a loosey-goosey, you know, non-disciplined environment. And when you pick that up a notch or two, you're probably going to lose people. You, you may start feeling and sensing someone's not on the team. And that's when you need to now start hiring for MVP while you have to, unfortunately, maybe move on. Any, any Did it ever happen to you? In our company, we have a name for for that person. It's it's called a woodpecker. And very briefly, the story of a woodpecker is uh, Noah had to build the ark, had to get two of every animal, and one of those animals that he had to get was a woodpecker. And what do woodpeckers do? They they peck wood, and the ark is made out of wood. So you can imagine Noah running around chasing this woodpecker who's poking holes in his ark. It, you're not going to change a woodpecker. And every single company I've ever come in contact with has a woodpecker. Every single company. And in, in my line of work, you know, we try to get them to, the courage to, to push them out off the ark. And 100% of the time, 25 years of doing this, 100% of the time, the owner says, I should have done that sooner. But the fear is, if I get rid of the woodpecker, my business is going to collapse. 100% of the time, I should have done that sooner. And the business skyrockets once that woodpecker's gone. 
And that woodpecker goes against everything that Marianne was talking about in an MVP. They're saboteurs. Yeah, that was so well put. I mean, I think it's been a topic of discussion many times and on the podcast and even in some of the training that I do. But I think that the whole idea of the MVP, it gets pushed on the back burner a lot of times because it's meaty and people feel they have to spend a lot of time doing it. But it really is much more simpler. And to Dennis's point, you know, your mission is what you're doing every day. And it could be simple as our mission is so simple. We are an example of professionalism. That's it. And everything we do. So if you're dealing with a customer, a coworker, um, a vendor, whatever, and someone has to make a decision, it's really simple. Is that an example of professionalism that our community is going to see, that the industry is going to see? If it's not, then we have to take a different path. The vision is the future. And what we want to do is we want to be seen as a shop that is a leader in this industry and in raising the bar. So if your team members don't buy into that or, you know, people, you yourself aren't thinking that way, um, then, you know, maybe you have to realign. And, you know, our purpose, our main purpose is to be a resource. But, so it's really not that complicated. You can come up with a lot of fancy words, but you know, when you're interviewing someone, see what they think about that. See what they think about your MVP. How do they react to that? Um, so it, it's so true that you cannot do it alone. And I think one of the biggest things that I have talked to people about, whether it's in training, clients, you know, other shop owners, you have to make a decision. Is it more important to be right or to grow? Yep. And uh, Marianne, just to, to follow up with that, you can teach somebody how to change a tire. You can teach somebody how to do an alignment. You can teach somebody to count cash to give change. You can teach somebody how to unlock a door and brew coffee. You cannot teach that person your values. You can't, they, they must bring that to the table. Uh, and that, that could be a whole, uh, interviewing for values could be a whole nother <laughs> topic card. So when are you coming back funny, to do like, that? Here's, <laughs> this is, this sits in front of my desk. This is our DSP's mission, vision and values. And I'm going to change it to uh, purpose. It's the same thing. I like MVP, but you, there's not a lot on this piece of paper and this is it. This is the whole thing. And, our mission is we help tire dealers and everyone that works for me knows that that has to be the number one question that's it. Are you helping? And if you're doing something else and somebody has an email and they need help, that's how you make the decision. You go help them. And, and the other thing, no matter what it is, goes on the back burner instead of the, the vision and, and the purpose. It, that's the forefront. Someone uh, mentioned in the chat box, uh, what's the acronym for MVP? I think we've covered it, but I want to make sure. Mission, vision, purpose. Great story, Dennis, on the woodpecker, I have to tell you. Well, you know, it really is. I mean, if you can relate it back to your own environment. Tom, have you ever had a woodpecker working for you? Oh, yeah. Um, the two least favorite things I have to do in my job um, are hiring and firing. Um, 
So thank goodness I've gotten a lot better at hiring because I've ran most of my career with the woodpecker. And uh, even though I know they're the woodpecker, I convinced myself they're not for maybe a year. So uh, very guilty of that. Uh, and uh, now, thankfully, I have I've grown up and uh, we hire based off of culture, just like Dennis was speaking. You can't, if if someone hasn't learned how to be a good, honest person by the time they step into my business. I don't think I have the skill set to teach them that. So I hire based off of somebody that I uh, fully trust and like, and uh, I teach them the rest. Uh, or the example, I've got Lisa that runs my whole shop. Uh, she came to me about seven, eight years ago and uh, uh, was a realtor before coming to me and was just one of the most... Uh, impressive people to talk to, but didn't, uh, she honestly probably couldn't have told me what a tie rod was or if her car had one, you know, like not even the basics, but who cares? You know, seven years later, she's, uh, running what I believe to be one of the most successful shops in Utah, uh, without me. So, uh, it hammered that home for me. That was a, that was another changing point in my life to, to take the risk, maybe a risk on that. And, and have it work out. And now that's how we interview from here on out. Tom, when you took the leap of conviction, if you will, to stop being a micromanager, become a better leader and develop the, the business culture, in your mind, did you have a personal vision that, listen, I, I, I want to do something else in, in and for the industry. So, so you, you had something to work toward? Well, for sure. I've, uh, uh, in the beginning, I, I, I would probably say no. I, uh, in the beginning, I just really wanted uh, my life, my family's life, and my team's life to just be less hectic and more fun. Um, and that's kind of what motivated me in the beginning. Now that it's now that I got a couple years in and it worked so well, um, I, I I do feel that it would be unfair for me not to share that with other people. So, so now, yes, now there is other things that, uh, I, I, I spend a lot of my time, uh, working with other consultants and, uh, it's a passion of mine to try to help other shops now. But when I was in the middle of doing it, no, it was honestly, it was for me and the people closest to me. Uh, but now that I, uh, now that it worked so well for me, uh, I feel it would be, uh, unethical to not share that with as many people that will listen. So not you didn't have any short-term goals, but you ended up saying, hey, what, what else can I do? And so you are helping people in the industry. But you were just looking for sanity. You were looking for a successful, uh, growing business, and you realized it's not – I can't be the center of the wheel. Yeah, no, and, uh, and I, I've always been fairly humble. I don't think I micromanaged because I didn't think that other people on my team couldn't do it. I just – I didn't have the skill set to – I didn't have the skill set to know what the heck I wanted. And if I didn't know what I wanted, there no way people that work for me knew what I wanted. So it was just an unfair. So for me, I just, I just wanted to, uh, uh, to get away from micromanaging. I never meant to micromanage. I'm not really that controlling. I, un, I've always understood that everybody on my team has skills that I don't have or else why would I have hired them? Um, I, I had to micromanage just based off of my own personal skill, not, not necessarily desire, if that makes Ma sense. Marianne hit the, she hit on this at the very beginning. Micromanaging is done out of fear because you don't know what you're doing. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree with that. 
did anyone ever just come to you and say, hey, boss, let me do this. Give me some freedom. I've got some great ideas. And if they ever did, did you shut them out? And did you miss that moment, an opportunity? Nothing's popping to mind immediately, uh, but I guarantee you I did that, you know. Um, but uh, uh, I, I, I have purposely have amnesia to where I, I, I kind of block out the things that uh, most of the things that I didn't uh, do 100%. Yeah. So, so I don't think I've, well, hopefully I've not done that as of late. I'll have to reflect on that, but I guarantee you I've done that. That is uh, such a great answer. I have amnesia for when I was really a bad leader. <laughs> I, I, I would say, uh, you know, I, I, I genuinely try not to. Um, I, I can tell you when I'm under stress, I'm really feeling it. And, and that it's usually a time constraint for the business that, that I do. Um, when time gets ultra, ultra, ultra tight, I, I, I do kind of push and, and, but my employees know that they, they can speak up and they can call me out on it. Uh, and, if I do it, if, if, if I'm overstepping my bounds, we, we have a frank discussion uh, and I either plow through <laughs> because I, I just feel the necessity uh, or, uh, you know, I, I say, you know what, you're right. Uh, you can handle this or, or however the conversation goes. Um, I, I have the benefit of a very small team. I, I don't have to put my trust out to 10 plus people like in a typical shop. Um, when I did run shops, I found that very difficult to trust all of them to the same level. Um, but, uh, but to, to, uh, hit that point, karma, I, I still do it. And, and it usually comes from time pressure. Got to get it done. And so who's better to do it than, than you? Yeah. I, but I, like I said, I, I my employees know that, that they have, they have a hundred percent trust in calling me out on that. And, and I, I will not bark back if they call it out. Um, but it's the emote, you get swept up in the emotion. It just, it happens. Um, and if we talk about it, it happens less and less. I, I can say I haven't done it in a, in a, a, a long time, but, uh, every time we talk about it, I recognize here I go again. I, I did this and I didn't need to. So the next time I start feeling that, I, I go out to them and go, look, I'm about to do this and you're going to, I know you're going to call me out on it. So let's talk about this now. Uh, so it, it helps, but I I've certainly, uh, like Thomas said, uh, uh, amnesia on the specifics, but, uh, but I know I do it. So when you're ready for that, um, that leap of faith and b- develop a higher level of trust and, and again, um, the systems are right. You're, you're developing all the things to hold people accountable. And you just, you step back. You make that one step back. You got to allow your people to fail. Yep. You got to be okay with failure. We don't live in a perfect world. They're never going to do it like you wanted. You've got to have the discipline inside of you to say, you know, oh, that hurts to watch that, to see that, to, to saw what... You know. And, and is there's that, that ultimate responsibility that, okay, if they didn't do it right, you probably did, weren't a good enough coach or teacher. We, uh, that's exactly right. We, it, um, in a, a session that I do uh, training, we up on a, a whiteboard, I write 100. 
And that's your idea. Your idea is perfect. It's a hundred percent awesome. But if it's always your idea and you don't get the buy-in from the employees, you get zero commitment and a hundred times zero is zero. If you go to them and ask them what their idea is, let's even say their idea is 60% as good as your idea, but they get 80% of the employees to buy into it. You know, 60 times 80 is whatever that is. It's way better than zero. Even if their idea was 10%, let's say somebody comes to Marianne and says, Marianne, I got this idea for, for uh, an ad for uh, fixing the transmission. You know, we're, we're going to charge the, the last two numbers of the license plate. And you're thinking, oh, my God, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of in my life. If you always say no, they're going to keep bringing that idea up. So if it doesn't burn the shop down to the ground, but they at least get to try their idea. And if it fails, they check that idea and go, oh, we're never doing that again. It at least gets that thing off the table. Um, so you, it, it's one of the harder things to do is to be okay with failure. But you, failure is such a good teacher. <laughs> it is such a good teacher. Yeah, the lessons that come out of that are um, so valuable. And to your point, um, it when you include your team, you do get that buy-in, just what you were saying. The, the other part of it is, um, we're developing them by doing that. My my husband, as a technician in a previous life, right, a previous job years ago, he had a lot of great ideas. He cared about the business, cared about the people that he worked for. And at one point in his career, he was told by an owner, a manager, I don't pay you for your ideas to think. Just get the work out. Now, that was the beginning of the end of buy-in because he didn't come up with any other ideas after that. Wow. So you could really stifle and hold someone back who really is um, caring and passionate about the industry and wants to contribute. You, you could do that as well. So it's something to really be mindful of. I think another big point is sometimes when we work in a previous, right, in a previous life in our career, we have to realize too that sometimes our previous bosses or owners were going through the same struggles that we went through or we're going through. But at the time, we didn't see it. And now we look back and go, oh, maybe that boss or that owner wasn't such a bad person. They were having trouble with the same skill sets that I have to build as well. So I think it's important to realize that. And, and I think you're creating a great culture, Dennis, where you know, you know that you're under stress, like it happens to all of us. And your team has that ability to come in and, and call you out or talk to you about it. I think it's wonderful. This was interesting. I, I think this was a, you know, we've done a lot of shows on uh, on these kinds of topics, but I think we, this, this, we kind of put it in a nice big ball. Uh, let's look at um, a final close. The reasons why people leave their jobs. Uh, is is something Marianne that you provided to me? There's some, you know, three great pointers. I I'd love to cover it because I think it's important. If we're going to continue to be micromanagers, we have to accept the fact that some of our talent that we've been unable to recognize may leave us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about a relationship with the boss. Yeah, if you don't have that open communication style, like Dennis was talking about, um, people feel that they're not being heard. They may have ideas. And a lot of times I know, and so I'm an owner that was never technical. I would be the worst person to make decisions 
on how the shop in the back should run. I think that should come from the people that are actually doing the job, whether it's moving a piece of equipment or a process uh, procedure that we have to change or update. So I think it's really important to listen to your team and listen to their ideas, get that buy-in. So that relationship is huge. You know, the other thing too is, is they could feel very bored and unchallenged if you're not developing them and, and challenging them, sending them for training, um, having them build their skill sets. So we don't have any trust when it comes, you know, for them, when it comes time for them to take on something new. So I think that that is a responsibility of an owner to provide that. And then when you do all that, you're creating a culture that creates good relationships with coworkers, the whole team. And you want to create that. So when they see how you're treating others, that really uh, creates that culture. and, And they see how once someone gives some input, how it's received, or even if it's maybe something didn't go the way that you thought it would, and you were to say, well, what was your thought process on that? How did you come up with that idea? And then you walk through it with them. Very different than, you know, telling someone that the idea was no good or it didn't work um, and always being able to go in and say refine or tweak. Bill Gates never stood at Best Buy selling Windows products because that's not what his strengths were. He, he, he had to rely on people that were good salespeople that could go into those stores and say, hey, here's our product. You should sell it. Um, you know, he had it's, other it's a, people do it for him. I mean, there's the message. He yeah, had other it, people he, do it for him. Even when he started, like he that that wasn't the thing that he did, right? Like he it, he he surrounded himself with people that had attributes that he did not, and and he let those people build his company for him. So he had to learn to let go if he was going to grow a big company. That's right. Let go, micromanage. Let go. <laughs> Six of this, half a dozen of the other. If you micromanage, your company will never grow. It will stay as small as possible. And it can never it, scale. You can't, it never will. It, and we all know why they do it, right? You started the business, you were, you were the sales guy and the technician, and you had two bays and probably a gas pump out front. And then you got to a point at 20 cars a day where you had to hire somebody else. So you hired a technician who was probably a friend of yours, uh, or you knew him from a, from a job. And, then you got to do that a little less and then, you know, you built the bay on the outside, but you get to a point, if you're going to micromanage, you can only get so big and, and you can only deal with so many things. There's only so much time in a day. Um, so if, if that's what you want, you know, there's a lot of guys that run a hot dog stand that are very happy in life and, and they make a lot of money doing it and they don't have employees and they don't want employees and, and they're happy. Um, but if, if you're going to try and run an automotive shop in this industry by yourself, uh, yeah, good luck with that. What you're really saying is get a hot dog stand. <laughs> if you don't like employees, go do a job where you don't deal with employees. Got it. But in this industry, you better figure out how to deal with employees. Okay, so here's the question. If you don't like employees, can you like customers? Well, it's... Customers and employees are are pretty close to the same thing, right? They have needs, desires, wants, external or external customers. You you pick it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. 
Hey, Tom, I'll give you the last word. Anything to share? I think uh, everything was summed up pretty good. Uh, I, I 100% agree that uh, if you want to do it all yourself, then you better admit that very early and don't expect, you know, set your set the bar low for where you're, what you're going to achieve in life. Um, but uh, one person can only do so much. So I think uh, all of us uh, on this panel realize that uh, maybe later than what we would want to admit in life. But eventually we got there and uh, the sky's the limit for me. You know, I've got, uh, I've got a group of 10 people downstairs doing amazing things that I myself could not do at their level. And uh, it's fun when it gets to that point. So if you're the person that is currently micromanaging and you want more out of uh, life and business, then uh, uh, understand that there's a little bit of a process to it. It's not going to happen overnight, but uh, 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 step one to fixing a problem is admitting you have the problem, right? And then step two is uh, reach out to folks like us and we'll, we'll help you with it because uh, there's probably an easier way than the way we did it, but even the way we did it worked, right? So... Great point. Uh, this was this was excellent, as all Town Hall Academies are. Thank you so much to Marianne Croce from Croce Transmissions in Norwalk, Connecticut, from member of Women in Auto Care and SmallBizVantage.com, and Dennis McCarran, Executive Director of DSP, Dealer Strategic Planning, and Tom Lambert, Shade Tree Automotive. Uh, continued success to you all, and thanks for your contributions to the Town Hall Academy. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.